Well, good morning. It's good to be back here at Spring Cypress Presbyterian Church. My name is Paul Miller, and I am the, exe- the regional director of Metanoia Prison Ministries here in Texas. Um, we are grateful that you are a supporting church and that some of you, I believe, are correspondents with uh, prisoners. If you'd like to learn more about that and what that means, I'll be in the narthex after the service, and you can talk to me about how to be involved in Metanoia Prison Ministries. There's a myriad of ways that you can be involved, and I'd love to talk to you about that. I'd also like to point out that I have a friend here with me this morning. His name is Bill Thomas, and Bill Thomas is the director of the Southwest Church Planting Network, a network that God has used throughout the Southwest in a mighty way to extend his kingdom. So it's good to have our brother Bill Thomas here with us this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, please turn to John's Gospel, chapter 4. John's Gospel, chapter 4. I'm going to begin in verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of, of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, asked for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was who, that was saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. For the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman said to him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. 
The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem in the, is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Now skip down to verse 39 with me. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of Almighty God endures forever. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' mighty name, and we ask that you would give us eyes to see Christ again, ears to hear his word a heart to receive him. That we would receive him by faith. That we would receive everything that the Holy Spirit has for us today. Help us to hear the gospel clearly and to respond in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. In the Gospels, Jesus makes his mission in coming to earth very clear. In Luke's Gospel, he says, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. In John's Gospel, he says, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. In John chapter 6, we are told that Jesus came to receive all that the Father would sovereignly give to him. And all that the Father gives to him, he will not lose one of them. In Romans, the Apostle Paul reveals to us that Jesus came to redeem all of creation from the effects of sin. And in our text this morning, we encounter Christ on mission to save. We encounter Christ's compassion for a thirsty soul who is an outcast. We meet a woman who's thirsty, but she doesn't know what she's thirsty for. Not in the ultimate sense, anyway. She is a woman who's bankrupt spiritually. 
She is spiritually dead and separated from Almighty God. This woman has tried to fill the emptiness of her soul with relationships with men, and it has not worked. She has, thought, she has sought to satisfy her spiritual thirst by going to broken cisterns that hold no living water. St. Augustine, the early church father, once said, God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. And that certainly describes this woman here in this text. Her attempts to find life have left her isolated and alone, caught in a spiritual wasteland. And I wonder this morning, how many of us here are like this woman? How many of us this morning are trying to satisfy our spiritual thirst by going to broken cisterns that hold no water? We run to entertainment, to pleasure, to materialism, to power, to food, or to alcohol, or to relationships, and search for what only Christ can give us. The prophet Jeremiah once wrote, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. And in this text, we learn this woman's deepest need, and it's our deepest need too. We should not look down our nose at this woman, for we are the woman in this text. In one way or another, we have been just like her. She needs Jesus to do for her what only Christ can do, give her eternal life. And Jesus is on a mission to save her and to redeem her from sin. He's on a divine assignment from his father to rescue her from a life of sin and to give her eternal life. Jesus is about to leave the 99 and go after the one. Thank God Jesus will leave the 99 and go after the one. Thank God that one day he left the 99 and he came after me. I have two points this morning. My first point is this. We learn that Christ will not allow racism to keep him from those in need of his compassion. Jesus will not allow racism to keep him from those in need of his compassion. In our text, we find Jesus leaving Judea for Galilee. And John tells us in verse 4 that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, I want us to stop right there. I want us to consider that that little verse. It's very important. I want us to consider right now the social ramifications of Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. And that's to put it nicely. They hated each other. They wanted nothing to do with one another. The Jews would do anything they could to avoid the Samaritans for they viewed the Samaritans as half-breeds, as a mixed race. Now, that's a loaded term. That's an ugly term, I know. But in fact, the Samaritans were of a mixed race. You see, the Samaritans were the descendants of the Jews who had been left behind after Assyria came in in 722 B.C. and sacked Israel. 
Assyria took the best of the land, the best of the people, and the Jews who were left behind intermarried with other nations. And because the Samaritans were descendants from interracial marriages, the Jews viewed them as impure people. And therefore, the Jews would do anything they could to avoid the Samaritans. This includes taking a long detour around Samaria when traveling from Judea to Galilee or Galilee to Judea. They would take the Transjordan route, anything they had to do to avoid the Samaritans. Now, John tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Well, I just explained to you that Jesus did not have to physically walk through Samaria to get from Judea to Galilee. But Jesus had to go through Samaria, John tells us. Why? I'll tell you why. I've already told you why. Because he was on a sovereign mission. He had come to leave the 99 and to rescue the one. He was on a divine assignment from his father to go and meet with this woman and to rescue her from a life of sin. That's why Jesus had to go through Samaria. And because he came to do the will of his father and not the will of man, he had to go through Samaria. The father loved this lost sheep. And Jesus' love for his father and his compassion for thirsty souls gave him all the reason he needed to stare racism in the face and challenge it every time. Now for just a moment, put yourselves in the shoes of the disciples. Consider the disciples for just a moment. Jesus turns to you and says, pack it up boys, we're leaving Judea and we're going to Galilee. I've got business to attend to there. And you think, okay, well, we need to prepare for the long journey for certainly we're going to take the Transjordan route or another route to miss Samaria because any respecting, self-respecting rabbi or Jew would do so. And as you start your journey, you realize that Jesus passes, passes the detour And he's headed straight for the heart of Samaria. And your blood begins to boil. You begin to run hot. And you think to yourself, how could Jesus lead us into Samaria? Doesn't he realize that these people aren't worth a bucket of warm spit? But Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He was about to make his disciples confront their own bigotry and racism. For you see, John tells us in John chapter 2 that Jesus needed no one to witness to him about man for he knew exactly what was in the heart of man and he knew what was in the heart of his disciples. And he was going to have them face their bigotry and he was going to teach them about the scope of the gospel and about the glory of Almighty God. Now then John tells us Jesus comes to the well of Jacob, Jacob's well, and he sits down at the well. And John says, because he's weary from his journey, another little detail, but an important detail that we shouldn't miss. Here we have what theologians call the great hypostatic union of Christ. Christ truly God and truly man. 
able to save us and to redeem us from all of our sin and shame because He's truly the Son of the living God and He's able to identify with all of our weakness and tempt it like us in every way because He's truly man. I love how John Wesley puts it. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus was pleased to tabernacle amongst us. And John says, we beheld the glory of God, the glory of the only begotten Son. You enjoy paradoxes, figure that one out. Jesus left the glory of heaven, the throne room of heaven, and to lay in a lowly manger. You enjoy paradoxes, consider this one. Lo, in the manger lies He who built the starry skies. The Son of the living God sits at the well because He's truly human. And He's wearied from His journey and He sends His disciples off to town because He wants to be alone. He wants to be alone with this woman, but consider the disciples again. It's almost comical, isn't it? When you think about it. Jesus sends them into town. Now they're forced to deal with the people they hate. Now they're going to have to buy food from the Samaritans and interact with them and eat the food that these impure, what they view as impure people have prepared. I love how Jesus uncovers our sin and makes us deal with it. If you're a true child of the living God, Jesus will uncover the sin of your heart and make you deal with it. Amen? But he gives us the power to repent. Praise God for that. You see, brothers and sisters, God is not just for one race of people. And we ought to be filled with gratitude for that fact. If God was only for the Jews, we would be left out of the plan of redemption. I'm so glad God's heart is much bigger than that. Jesus came to redeem a people from every tribe and nation. He says in the Gospel of Luke that they will come from the east and the west, the north and the south, and they will sit at the table of God and sup. We've been grafted in. We're now the sons and daughters of Abraham by faith. And in Christ, there is no longer Jew nor Gentile, but there's only one holy race. And since this is true, and we know that it is true, there is no room for racism in the family of God. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen, John tells us. There's no room for bigotry and racism in the family of God, and Jesus is making that very clear by going in to Samaria. So the disciples begrudgingly go off to buy food and Jesus sits and he waits. And oh, I'm grateful to the master for that fact. I'm grateful for the fact that he's willing to wait. He's willing to wait on sinners. But not only that, it looks like he's waiting for this woman, but what he's really doing is he's graciously pursuing an elect sinner that he has come to redeem. And that's my second point. Jesus graciously pursues the elect sinner who is spiritually bankrupt. We have nothing to offer Jesus. He has everything to offer us. 
We cannot pursue Him because we're dead in our trespasses and sins. But He pursues us with an everlasting, never giving up, forever covenant-keeping love. Jesus had to go through Samaria because he was on divine appointment to keep an appointment with a thirsty woman. And here we have two perspectives working out in human history. We have the divine perspective and we have the human perspective. Jesus sits at the well and in his sovereign mind, he knows exactly why he's there. That's the divine perspective. But then we have the human perspective. The woman. The woman has no idea who she's about to meet that day. In fact, she comes to the well during an hour she knew that she would be alone. And John tells us she came at the sixth hour. Now, the Jewish day began at 6 a.m., so the sixth hour would be 12 noon. Why would this woman come during the heat of the day? Women did not go to draw water during the heat of the morning or the heat of the evening or the afternoon. I'm sorry. Women did not come to the well to draw water at the heat of the afternoon, but in the cool of the morning and the cool of the evening. They came to fellowship. They came to be with one another. Why would this woman come during the hottest part of the day, we know why she would come during the hottest part of the, hot, during the hottest part of the day. Because as physically taxing as this job was, it was much easier for her to go through that than to deal with the shame she felt from being around the other women in the community. To have to deal with their whispers, their stares, their gossip. She'd rather be all alone. And is it not true, brothers and sisters, that our sins isolate us just as it had isolated this poor woman? You see, sin always promises far more than it delivers. And it costs us far more than we ever thought we'd pay. This woman's lifestyle has cost her self-respect. It's cost her the knowledge of her self-worth. It's cost her community and meaningful friendships. It's cost her everything. And I imagine that for this woman, now this is me, I imagine, I'm using my God-given imagination here for just a moment. I imagine that for this woman, this day started like any other day. She woke up with a knot, with a pit in the uh, knot in the pit of her stomach, and she thought to herself, "Ah, another day." You see, this woman was not living; she was merely existing. For there is no life outside of God. She was merely existing, and she got up. And she gathered her water pots and then she put on her invisible armor. And you know the invisible armor I'm talking about. The armor of self-protection. That armor that keeps everyone at arm's length. That armor that has served her so well that had 
wrapped around her heart and not allowed anyone to get in so no one could ever hurt her again. She had been wounded so many times. She had lived such a life of sin that she put on this armor so she would not be exposed to anyone. And then she put on her invisible mask. And you know the mask I'm talking about. The mask of stoicism. That mask that gives you the look that dares anyone to say a word to you. Then she gathers her water pots and she sets out through town. And she thinks to herself, I imagine, just keep your eyes straight ahead. Don't make eye contact with anyone. But I can hear the whispers of the town folk, can't you? I can hear them say, there she goes again, look at her. Look at that tramp. And the woman's face turns red with embarrassment and her eyes fill with hot tears, but she doesn't dare let a tear drop from her eyes so as to give the town folk the satisfaction of knowing that their fiery darts of accusation have pierced her armor once again. She thinks, just get to the well. You see... Solitude and loneliness have become synonymous for this woman. And as she approaches the well, she looks up and she sees Jesus. And she thinks, great, what is he going to want? Because men always wanted something from her. And Jesus did want something, but not what she thought. She gets there and he says, give me a drink. Now this woman becomes antagonistic. I think she's antagonistic because of the context of this text. She's a Samaritan, he's a Jew. How can you, being a Jew, ask of me for a drink of water? Not only that, but a woman. You poor, pathetic man. You're reduced to having to ask for a drink of water from this woman. And if you only knew, I imagine she's thinking, the kind of woman I am, you wouldn't touch me with a 10-foot pole. And I love Jesus' response. He says, if you knew who was asking you for a drink of water, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now this woman doubles down. She's really amused. Her sarcasm really begins to come out. Sir, how can you... How can you draw water? You have nothing to draw water with. This well is deep. Are you greater than our father Jacob who dug this well? She has no idea who she's dealing with. Yes, woman. Yes, the one you're talking to is greater than Jacob. He was before Jacob. He created Jacob. He is Emmanuel. He is Adonai. He is Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Sitkanu. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is God in the flesh. And Jesus says to her, he, he doesn't allow her sarcasm to drive him away, but he loves her. And the master continues to pursue her. And he says, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. For the water that I will give him will become a living spring, springing up to eternal life. Now, Jesus has touched a nerve. This woman says to him, please, sir, give me this water. Why? 
Notice what she says. So that I will never have to come to this well again. So that I'll never have to walk the pathway of shame again. So that I'll never have to be reminded of my past again. Give me this water. So that I'll never have to endure the mockery again. She's thinking physical. Just like Nicodemus thought in John chapter 3, how can a man enter a womb when he's old? How can he be born again? This woman's thinking physical thirst. Give me this living water to satisfy my physical need. Now Jesus has her right where he wants her. You see, the woman thought she was in control of the conversation, but whenever you're in a conversation with Jesus, just know this, he's always in control. And Jesus flipped the script on her. He said, go call your husband. (laughs) Uh, I have no husband. That's exactly right, Jesus said. You've had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. Can you imagine the reaction of this woman? Her jaw must have hit the ground. How would you react if you met a stranger who just revealed to you your darkest, deepest secrets? But she recovers quickly. You see, she's been in a lot of scraps. She's been in a lot of fights. She's a survivor. And I think she's thinking, if you think I'm about to open up to you about my painful, sinful past, you got another thing coming. That was pretty clever. Oh, I perceive you to be a prophet. Let's have a theological debate. You Jews say to worship in Jerusalem, our fathers say on this mountain. There's a theological question that ought to keep you busy for a while. But you see what Jesus does? He goes right back to the heart of the matter. He says, woman, you don't know what you're talking about. Salvation is of the Jews, but the Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And the hour is coming and is now here. And I'm going to interject this. It's now here because the king is here. That you will not worship in Jerusalem or on this mountain. But the father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And what Jesus is communicating to this woman is if you want to worship God the way he desires to be worshipped, then you've got to drink the living water that only I can give you. And you've got to come through the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the way, the truth, and the life. Your dead religion and your dead traditions won't save you, but I can redeem you. Amen. If you won't say it, I will. (laughs) This woman has never heard answers like this before. And her eyes, the eyes of her understanding begin to open. And she thinks, I think she thinks, could this be the one? So she tests it. She puts it out there. She says to Jesus, I know when Messiah comes, the one who's called the Christ, he will tell us all things. And then Jesus does for her what he doesn't do for everyone in his earthly ministry, and he doesn't do it for everyone today. And if he's done it for you, it's by his sovereign grace and mercy that he's brought you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You weren't seeking after him. He came seeking after you. And he sovereignly redeemed you by his grace and his mercy and made you alive when you were dead in your sins and trespasses. And he does for her 
What only he can do, he reveals his true identity. He says, woman, I who speak to you am he. Did you catch it? I am he. I am that I am. Woman, I am greater than Jacob because I am. Woman, I've got everything you need for your thirsty soul because I am. Woman, I can bring you from death unto life because I am. Woman, I can heal your shame and your sin because I am that I am. You see, Jesus only took the scalpel as being the great physician that he is and he pierced her her soul and revealed her sin, not to wound her, not to destroy her, but to cut away the dead heart and to give her a heart of flesh. And immediately, this woman is converted. And she drops her water pots and she's amazed at what she hears. And we're told that she's not the only one who's amazed. The disciples are now coming back and they see Jesus talking to this woman. And I can only imagine that after having, de- having to deal with the Samaritans that the Jews are, I'm sorry, the, the disciples are thinking, have we hitched our wagon to the wrong star? We, now Jesus is talking not only to a Samaritan, but he's talking to, us, to a woman. But John says that they marveled, that they were perplexed. Why did they marvel? Why were they perplexed? Because they were in the atmosphere of grace. When was the last time grace ever left you speechless? And we're told that the woman drops her water pots, but that's not the only thing she drops. She drops her shame and she drops the guilt of her sin and she runs back into town. And how do I know she drops her shame? Because she runs directly to the people who've shamed her. And she says, come see a man who told me everything I'd ever done and he didn't leave me, but he loved me. He didn't forsake me, but he saved me. This is the Messiah, the promised one. She leaves a life of sin and becomes an evangelist immediately. That is a life transformed by the power of Christ. And we're told that many people went out And that many people believed on the Lord Jesus Christ in the two days that he was there, proclaiming that he indeed was the Savior of the world. Now, we're told that all heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. Can you imagine the party that was thrown in heaven that day when many souls came into the kingdom of God? Why? Because of one woman's testimony. You know God will use you that way if you'll open your mouth and just gossip about Jesus. Gossip about the one you love. Tell him what he's done for you. Share the gospel first and foremost, what the gospel message is, who he is, how he lived, how he died, how he was raised, and then share what he's done for you. I wonder this morning as I close Are you here and are you a thirsty soul? Have you ever come to Christ for living water? If not, then I call you to come to Jesus today. And if you come, you come by divine appointment. No one just walks into the kingdom of God. Everyone comes by divine design and divine appointment. 
If you're a Christian here today, but you've forsaken the wellspring of living water and you're looking for other things to satisfy you, I call you back to Christ. For he is the one and the only one who can satisfy thirsty souls. Let's pray.